Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Greatest Comeback. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Good morning, BCC. So glad you joined us for the preaching of the Word today. I'm really, really looking forward to getting into something that I believe is going to help somebody. I'm calling this sermon, The Greatest Comeback. And somebody listening to me right now, you need to make a comeback in your personal life, in your finances, your marriage, your emotional, spiritual life. And I pray that I can help you today to show you some steps out of a setback to make a comeback. I love good comeback stories. One of my favorite is Bernie Marcus. Bernie was a a son of a Russian immigrant in New Jersey, worked at a hardware store, and one day he gets fired from from a store called Handy Dan's. I don't know what happened to Handy Dan's, but I knew Bernie Marcus went down to Atlanta, and he met a guy named Arthur Blank, and they decided to start a little hardware store together, and they decided to call it the Home Depot. And uh, last year they made $32 billion. So that's a pretty cool comeback, wouldn't you say? And one of my favorite political comebacks is Winston Churchill. In 1915, Winston Churchill conducted a disastrous naval campaign. In fact, he said, I'm finished. Everybody in England hated Winston Churchill. 20 years later, Winston Churchill became the leader who was instrumental in stopping Adolf Hitler and the murderous Nazi regime. Great comeback story, Winston Churchill. Of course, those of us here in New England, we're spoiled when it comes to sports comebacks. Many sports writers call the Red Sox and the the 2004 World Series the greatest comeback, baseball comeback in history. When in the fourth game of the World Series, down three games to none, they came back and defeated the Yankees to win the pennant. Never before had any team ever come back from being 0-3 in the World Series. And of course, my personal favorite comeback is all I got to say, all I got to say to football fans is 28-3. to 28-3 with about a minute and 20 seconds left in the third quarter, the New England Patriots were down to that, by that score to the, pay, to, to the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 51. And they came back and won the game. There's something thrilling about a comeback. But to have a comeback, you've got to have a setback. And today, we're talking about the greatest setback in history became the greatest comeback in history. It's not in the political realm. It's not in the sports realm. But the greatest comeback in history is when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, buried in it, put in a tomb, and he rose from the dead. But that's not the greatest comeback I'm preaching about today. The greatest comeback was the comeback of the disciples. He had a group of disciples. There were basically 12. And then there was 120 was the larger group. And then there were several hundred more. And today we're going to refer to an incident in Acts chapter 1 where 
500 people saw Jesus ascend. 120 went to the upper room and they hid in an upper room. And there in the upper room, they waited for what he promised would be the Holy Spirit he would send. And that church, that became the, the worldwide church that you know today is the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now let's set the scene. Christ had died. Christ had risen. Christ met with some of his disciples and told them to go wait in Jerusalem. That was the first time in history, perhaps, that people were told to shelter in place. They were told to go to Jerusalem, go to a place called the Upper Room, there wait for the next direction that they would have. Now, this setback became the great comeback. But let's analyze what happened and what you need to do in order to come back. What this church needs to do. What our community needs to do. We've had an incredible setback with the coronavirus. We've had, a, we've had an incredible set, setback with our lockdown orders with, that were, I believe were necessary, at least in, in the beginning. And they were necessary. They were important. I, my, I pray constantly for our leaders and, and, and the dis, hard decisions that they had to make regarding our economy and many other things. And I'm grateful for them. And I'm thankful for them. But we know this has been a huge emotional, physical, economic comeback, uh, setback, I meant to say, for our entire country. But how do we make a comeback? Well, the first thing I would say to you, drawing from the story of the disciples who were so defeated in Acts chapter 1, the end of, end of the Gospels and the end of the book of Acts, is admit where you're hurt and disappointed, but don't let it stop you. Let's look at a minute. That's great setback that these disciples had experienced. They had met the Messiah, the hope of Israel. He had proven he was the Messiah with his miracles, and he loved them like they had never been loved before. I don't think you and I can even imagine what that must have felt like. To realize that you're the one who loved you the most and your closest associate was indeed the Son of God, was indeed the creator of the world. Imagine that. And imagine how they felt. This was most significant because the most cherished thought for every Jewish person was the final restoration of Israel and the final restoration and bringing back of Israel to prominence. The Messiah was their greatest hope. Every Jewish woman and every woman in Israel, the greatest thrill of her life and the greatest hope of her life was that someday she would give birth to the Messiah. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 11, look at this verse with me, please. It says, the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So, you, know, you know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says, raised expectations make the heart sick. So when, these, when the Jewish people met Jesus, they began to believe this is it. The kingdom of God is coming back to earth and it's coming now. Right now, the, the oppressive Roman Empire will be overthrown. The hypocritical Pharisees who rule us and make our lives miserable will be displaced by God himself. And Israel will once again not be a byword and a curse word among the nations. But Israel will be raised to the prominence that they had been promised. And for, for which they left Egypt for. 
their master Messiah, though. Here's what happened. And this is what happens. This is what setbacks are all about. Setbacks are all about everything's going great. You're headed in the right direction. Uh, Job numbers are at an all-time high. Unemployment's at an all-time low. Uh, Trade deficit is better than it's been in decades. The, the, The stock market is hitting record highs and higher than it's ever been. And and uh, uh, all kinds of numbers, w- uh, w- women in the workplace and uh, all, uh, uh, minorities in the workplace, gr- more than ever. All of these great things are happening in America. And suddenly, overnight, you, get, you, you hear about a virus and you hear a little bit more. And one day you find out we're in a global pandemic. That's what setbacks are all about. And so that's what happened to those disciples. Their Messiah, they had placed their entire hope in him. He was suddenly, brutally, brutally, and publicly executed. Yes, 500 people saw him rise from the dead. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but they saw him rise from the dead. I'm, I'm sure that they were all fine now. They were all, everything's wonderful. And all. But, but that's not true. 500 saw him rise from the dead. Only 120 went to Jerusalem and waited for him, like he said. So I'm telling you, I, can, I know by that their emotions weren't healed. I know by that that, uh, that uh, their, their doubts weren't satisfied and their trauma wasn't cured. They were still traumatized and their expectation was not yet met. See, I want to tell you something and you need to know this. I don't care whether you're wrestling with a personal comeback with your finances or your marriage personal comeback with your relationships, with your health. Comebacks are very difficult. Comebacks are very hard. And if we're not prepared for comebacks to be difficult and be, be hard and, and, and stressful, then we may, not, we may not make the comeback that God really wants us to make. One of the reasons that comebacks are difficult is most people don't realize how much resolve and how much determination it's going to take. And furthermore, they don't realize that comeback victories are the best kind. They really are. They're the best kind for a whole raft of reasons. You know the word trauma in the Greek language was also translated wounded. Uh, It's the word that Jesus used when he talked about a good Samaritan finding a man by the road battered. And the word he used for that battered man was the Greek word that that means trauma or wound. So when you go through a trauma you you uh, you go through a it, it, you're wounded by that trauma and and you know everybody needs to realize right now we we have been affected by this pandemic we've been affected by this lockdown we need to everybody need i really believe this with all my heart that everybody listening to me everybody in your living rooms your offices and uh, your kitchens wherever you're listening uh, I believe most people need to take a deep breath and you need to take care of yourself for a minute. You know how in the airlines they say put your oxygen mask on first? I would say to every, every person in America right now, take, take a, an, an hour, a day, or whatever you need to, re, to, get, to start a restoration process. Inspect your wounds. 
inspect the places that this trauma has impacted you, and some of you a lot more than others. There's some that I'm talking to that you've had, you've had family members die, and they died alone. And that is very traumatic and very difficult to deal with. Some of you that I'm talking to actually had the coronavirus and you went through a, a very difficult time and a very scary time. And those things take their toll. In fact, um, uh, Bessel, Van, Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. And, and uh, that is so, so true. Whether you realize it or not, your body keeps score of trauma. So let's be honest about the strain and the stress and the traumas of the setback season that's been in our lives. Uh, let's be transparent about our specific disappointments and lingering concerns that, that we still have. You know, there's, there's concerns that the pandemic will, will pick up speed as we open up the, open up the economy and the society. There, there are concerns that the, the damage to the economy will be greater than we, we, we had hoped for. There's all these things. L let's be transparent about our concerns. The disciples certainly were. If you look back at Acts chapter 1, where Jesus is telling them to go to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1 verse 6 says, said, though when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see, they weren't completely healed because they were still wanting the kingdom of God to come in full manifestation, in full flourish. They were still wanting the kingdom of God to be fully manifest for them and Jesus to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and all other powers to be defeated. They were still hoping for that. That was still a part of their expectation. And Jesus tells them, now, but not yet. I believe Americans have had to come to grips with them some things, right? Uh, well, sometimes we think that because a part of a part of a, 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 a part of a trauma is over, or the trauma is not happening to us anymore, that we're going to be okay. But 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 don't not so fast. Not so fast. There, there, are, there, are, there are realities that some of us have come to that will linger with us. I, I think one of the realities that we have come to face is our mortality. I don't believe Americans and people in the West, particular where people die in hospitals and they die in nursing homes mostly, and uh, we have not had to face death. Because I'm a pastor, I've, I've seen quite a few people pass from this life. And I know some of you that are in the medical fields and other fields have as well. But a lot of Americans have never even seen anyone pass away. And so mortality is so scary to us. But I believe this pandemic has kind of pulled back the curtain and made death very, very real to us. I mean, you know, do, do you realize that almost 150,000 people die every day in this world? Almost 150,000 people, nearly 8,000 people die every day in America. Death is a reality, and it's a reality that we're, we've had to come to grips with, and you may not be the same after this because you're coming to grips with that. But, but I want you to have hope because setbacks set us up for comebacks. And God will do something with that, and God will put you a spirit in you that will make you able to handle the new reality in your life. Some of you have never realized you, you can go from setback to comeback. You never even realize that. You, 
you, you, you have marital fights and you don't even know that you can kiss and make up. You've never tried that. Every, every marital fight becomes permanent. Uh, you, you have financial setbacks and you, you've not really known that you could restore your, you could analyze why you got in trouble financially and reinvest and come back. And you've had uh, emotional traumas, but you don't even know that you can push through that emotional trauma and rediscover joy. You know the word, the word uh, bright, uh, joy, rejoice? I never thought of it till I was studying for this sermon. I, I, I never thought of the word rejoice being uh, such an appropriate way to put it because the word rejoice means in the Greek to brighten up, okay? If you're, if, if, if you're having to brighten up, it means you got dark. You got to start in a dark place to have to bar- brighten up. It means you got sad. In order to rejoice, you had to, you had, it's, you had to reboot your joy, amen? And that's what God is calling us to do today. Uh, some of you have never, never known that you can lose an aspect of your physical health and you can bounce back. You know, I, I so admire, I know my, my mother-in-law is watching this right now. And uh, many of you know she had a stroke a few months ago. And I never met anybody who fights as hard to come back as Helen Matson. She is incredible. She's... Every day she's trying to, she's walking as much as she can. She's exercising. She believes in coming back. I mean, I'm sure that she's, I'm sure that she's planning on uh, driving the car again. And who knows, she just might do it. Mom, I I just, I'm pulling for you, okay? (laughs) Let's be real about the momentum, though, that we need to recover. Faith can move a mountain, friends. But sometimes faith only gives us enough power to climb a mountain. I said, sometimes faith can move a mountain, but sometimes God expects us to climb the mountain. So that's the first thing I would say to you about a comeback, is the great setback. Admit where you're hurting and disappointed, but don't let it stop you, okay? The second thing that I would point out to you today is face your fears for goodness sake. Now, I'm not being a smart aleck when I say that, and I'm not being rude to you when I say for goodness sake. I really mean it, facing your fears for goodness sake. See, Jerusalem was a dangerous place 40 days after the Passover. 40 days after the Passover, it was a very dangerous place. Because their Lord and Savior for the disciples had been executed 40 days before. So they didn't go over to Jerusalem with a placard that said, Jesus is risen. They, they, didn't, go around, they didn't go around with protest signs in, in, in front of the governor's uh, 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 office saying, you killed our Savior. No, it was a very dangerous place. For one thing, th- th- they were getting ready for what was known as the Feast of Pente- Pentecost. And in the Passover season, thousands and thousands, they, 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 they believed the population might have swelled to a million people in Jerusalem during Passover. And during that, their 50 days that they celebrated. So they, you know that Rome sent extra soldiers. And so you know there were Roman soldiers everywhere. It was a very dangerous place to be a follower of Jesus. And it's significant that 120 people obeyed Jesus and went and got a room in this very dangerous place. Now, you're going to think I'm changing subjects here, but hang with me. Tom Holland 
and a whole bunch of other historians make a convincing case that human rights and equality have its roots in Christianity. If you heard me do my little encouraging minute a few weeks ago, I talked about the Cyprian plague that happened in the third century. In the latter part of the third century in Rome, thousands and thousands of people were dying. It was very, it was more devastating than the coronavirus. But something very interesting happened. The Christian people, the Christian people took care of their elderly. The pagans in Rome put their elderly people outside so they could die and so they wouldn't be infected. The Christians brought the elderly inside the house. Not only did they bring, not only did the Christians bring their mom and dad or their grandmother and grandpa in the house, they went and got other people's grandmas and grandpas and brought them in the house. And you know what happened? 25% of the elderly died who were Romans and non, the non-believers. Only 10% of the elderly who belonged to the Christians died. And overall, the Christians lost 50% less of their population than the rest of the Roman population. No wonder, not too long after that, Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Have you ever noticed that you don't see any hospitals named after famous atheists? There's no St. Voltaire's Hospital or St. David Hume's Hospital or St. Bertrand Russell Hospital. There's, you know, there's uh, St. Vincent's and, you know, there's Presbyterian Hospital and Baptist Hospitals and hospitals with the word mercy in it and all kinds of hospitals all over the country named after, after churches and saints. Why? Because Christians created the hospital system. It was Christians who built hospitals in the 4th and 5th and 6th centuries and, and built places so the suffering could be ministered to. You see, the atheists basically are motivated and, and, and as a basis, a foundational doctrine for them is Darwinism. And Darwinism, like it or not, is about survival of the fittest. But Christianity is not built on the survival of the fittest. Christianity is built on the care for the weakest. That's a Christian virtue that was taught to all of culture and all of the world by Christianity and is still alive and well today, even by many who are not Christians, but they've bought into the, to the doctrine of human rights and equality. So what does that have to do with 120 people facing their fears and going to Jerusalem for a prayer and connection meeting, for goodness sake? Well, that's just exactly what it has to do. The decision made by 120 people to meet in Jerusalem unleashed Christianity on the world. Let me say that again. The decision made by 120 people to meet in Jerusalem unleashed Christianity on the world. If those 120 hadn't obeyed Jesus, if they hadn't gone to the meeting that he, called, that he told them to go to, if they hadn't gone there, if they hadn't taken that, that risk, we wouldn't have Christianity today. Or God would have had to certainly delay it in some other way in some other time. 
Acts 2 verse, chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Were they careful? Absolutely they were careful. They met behind locked doors. Like I said a minute ago, they didn't run up and down the streets with a, with a Jesus is risen sign. They didn't go in front of the governor's office saying, you killed our Savior. No, they met behind closed doors. They were extremely careful. They were extremely cautious. You know, there, there are tragic stories of people who unnecessarily died by being careless with the, with the coronavirus. So God is not asking us to be careless. God is at, not asking us to ignore health rules. We, we're, we're still subject to bacteria. We're still subject to viruses, even though we're Christians. And like I always say, miracles happen, but we call them miracles because they're not normal. They don't normally happen. Normally, we, normally even in daily life, we have to practice hygiene and we have to take care of our bodies in order to be healthy. So we're not talking about being careless here. Even when we invite you back to church next week, we're, we're going to be careful and we're going to take the precautions that are being recommended to us by our governor and by the CDC because we understand that we're still in the human body. We understand that. And, and, and we're not trying to be crazy. So God did not send them to Jerusalem to do something crazy. He sent them basically to have church. He sent them basically to meet with other believers and spend 10 days thinking and talking and hanging out together and praying. And I'm sure they talked about the word and I'm sure they talked about the future. So there are people dying because they're careless today. There have been some people who passed away. But there are also people dying from despair. And that's one of the reasons we want to come back as a church. You know, doctors in Northern California just a few days ago said they have seen more suicides from the coronavirus pandemic in their area than from, from, from coronavirus. They've seen more suicides than, than death from coronavirus. Uh, one particular doctor uh, from the John Muir Medical Center actually told ABC News that the increase of suicide deaths that he's seen is a, is equals a year's worth of suicides. And uh, in the state of Tennessee by last March, more people had died in just one Tennessee county from suicide than had died in the entire state from the coronavirus. Now, I'm not minimizing the danger of the coronavirus. The coronavirus is real, by the way. And anybody who says it's not real, it's nothing, or it's a, a conspiracy theory, I, I don't buy that. No, it's real. But, 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 but we are facing another crisis right now, and the, that's the crisis of isolation and the crisis of loneliness. And that's what we're meeting together as a church to solve. To, to, we're, we're being called by God to a mission to help those who are lonely and separated and those who have life-controlling problems and addictions. And those addictions, as I said in my Welcome Back video, those addictions are, are, uh, are, uh, are exacerbated by isolation. And, and so we're, 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 we need to break that up and see God do something. We're going to do it in the power of the Spirit. So that's why I, I bring you the next point, And that is carefully put yourself in the place of renewal. I'm talking about how 
to come back from a setback. Imagine, imagine those early disciples tiptoeing up to the upper room. Because as they're walking to the upper room, they're seeing Roman soldiers, the same Roman soldiers that brutally executed their Lord. And they knew they could be next. Imagine them tiptoeing up to the, to the upper room, hoping not to be noticed, hoping that nobody recognizes that they used to hang out with Jesus. See, you're not required to go beyond what Christ is challenging you to do. A lot of people think faith is jumping off a cliff. A lot of people think, uh, think faith is just throwing all your money away or something. But faith is not going beyond what Christ is challenging you to do. If you come in here next Sunday and uh, you start hugging everybody, that will not be faith. That will be tempting God. God gives us direction. Part of the way he gives us direction is through authority that he raises up in our lives. Governmental authority, church authority, health authority. God gives authority in our life to give us direction. Faith is when there is fear, but we move toward the threat. We don't have to, we don't have to jump off the cliff, but we move toward the threat. You know, Chinese have two symbols for fear. One symbol means danger. And another means opportunity. So we are moving toward the threat. We're not, we're not foolishly sacrificing ourselves to the threat. We're not ignoring all that science is telling us. We're not ignoring everything the doctors are, are warning us about. But we're going to move toward the threat. Because there, there's a point if you, if you move away, if you move away from the threat in fear, the fear will kill you. And, and the fear will kill more people than the threat will. Fear is a very dangerous thing. Fear and isolation is a very dangerous thing. And it will absolutely take your life. Let's see what happened in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. What was the payoff for them carefully putting themselves in the place of renewal? And you know there's a lot of applications to this carefully putting our place self in the place of renewal. If you're having... Um, marital issues you know there comes a point when you're having marital issues that the marriage becomes dead and deadness is a in a relationship is a type of it, it's a substitute for peace it's not real peace because because real peace is alive with love it's not real peace it's just deadness and one of the ways you, you one of the ways you you move toward the threat is you go to a marriage counselor you know that a few sparks are going to fly. You know you're going to have some difficult conversations. You know some tears are going to be shed. But you're, 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 doing, you're putting yourself in a position where, there, where there's, you're facing the threat, but you're doing it with a professional counselor who's going to help you have those conversations that you need to have. That's kind of what, what we're doing by coming back to church. We're doing it in a way that, that, that is safe. We're doing it in a way that, is, that, that God is still going to be able to move by His Spirit and God's going to be able to break through to the next level because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Only God can take us to the next level. Only God can heal things that are really broken and really hurting. But we've got to move toward the threat in order for Him to do it. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now listen to this. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, now, they couldn't have planned that. All they could do was take the risk of going to Jerusalem. All they could do was put the upper room on their schedule. All they could do was obey the simple command that God gave them to give. And you know, God is so good that he gives us most of the times, 99.9% of the time, when God asks you to do something, it's going to be so simple and so easy that anybody could do it. Have you ever noticed that? God asks you to pray. God asks you to come to church and be with the believers. God asks you to love the people in your family and the people around you. They're all things that are well within your power to do. They're not, they're not like a, a flying a, an airplane into a building. You know, God doesn't ask us to do things. He asks us to do very, all God asks him to do, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. Now, I understand. There will be those in our congregation, you're not ready to come back to church next week. We're going to be patient with you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty today. So whether you come this next Sunday or you come in two weeks or you come in 30 days, that's really your decision but I know at some point you're going, you're, you're, to obey God, you're going to have to go be with the believers. I know at some point you're going to have to take that step and put yourself in the place of renewal. And that's what we want to see. They did it, and look what happened. They could have never imagined if you would have ever said to the 120, you know, in a few days, the message of the resurrection is going to explode in this city. Fifty days ago, they killed the Lord Jesus. You had the biggest setback in history. Fifty days later, because you obey and you do a simple thing that I ask you to do, Christianity is going to explode and 3,000 people are going to get, to use biblical vernacular, 3,000 people are going to get saved. Can you believe that? You know, I just wonder what God could do with your obedience. What could God do if you just did the simple thing that he's asking you to do? And that when we pray in a minute and you ask him for direction, if you just do the simple thing, it's probably going to have a little bit of risk to it. It's probably going to push you toward a threat and not away from it. It's probably going to challenge you. I doubt if it's God if it doesn't challenge you at all. I doubt if it's God if it doesn't scare you at all. But it's going to be something so simple. And so much within your power to do. You know how it is with your children. You, you, you never ask them to pick up something that's super, super heavy they could never pick up. You ask them to do what's in their power to do. When they don't, you call it disobedience. But you don't call it disobedience when you, it, when you ask them to do something that's not in their power to do. So God is just going to ask you to do some things that was in your power to do. And just like that little boy in the story of the fish and bread, he gave Jesus, he had five loaves, two fish, 20,000 people were hungry. Who can make a correlation between five loaves and two fishes and 20,000 hungry people? I wouldn't even put those two things in the same conversation, would you? But Jesus would. And Jesus took two loaves, or five loaves, two fishes, 
And he said, can I have it? And I don't know that little boy. I'd like to meet that little boy someday. The little boy says, sure. Hands Jesus his fish and bread. And Jesus took his little fish and bread. And he fed the multitude with it. Church, church, I really mean this all my heart. I'm totally excited about what God's going to do with our simple obedience. We're going to step out in faith. We're going to have church. We're going to gather it again. We're not going to send the Holy Spirit. That's up to God. God's going to have to do that. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I know he is going to do it. I'm expecting God to work a miracle in our church. I'm expecting an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that when we walk in here next Sunday, it's going to be just like it was first week of March. No, it'll be different. It'll be different. It'll take a while to get back to normal. It'll take a while. It'll take a while. Somewhere down the road, we, you know, we won't have to put masks on when we come in, and we won't have to think about those things somewhere along the line. I'm not in charge of dealing with the problems. That's God's problem. The disciples weren't in charge of those angry people out there in the city who would have liked to put them to death. They weren't in charge of the Roman Empire. They weren't in charge of the Pharisees. They weren't in charge of the Sanhedrin, the court that had condemned Jesus. They were only in charge of their own bodies to obey him. And when they obeyed him, God took care of all the problems. Oh, man. I feel like preaching another 30 minutes, but I won't. I know you want me to get done if you haven't turned me off already. So you can't do that when you come out to church. At home, you can't turn me off, right? So let's pray, and let's believe that our comeback will result in dozens of people coming to faith in Christ. And maybe they learned about us. Maybe you learned about us on, on uh, live, the live stream. And you're going to come out to church. And let's pray that dozens will, uh, or more, will, will be a part of our fellowship. And let's pray that, that thousands in the region will come to Christ. And all the other churches that are, that are represented. And let's pray that globally millions of people will come to Christ. Because through all our live streaming services, they've heard about Christ. And they've seen, they've met the church. And I think, we, I think the church has done well. I'm proud of the church. I also want to pray for many of you today whose challenge is not so much whether you come back to church or not, but your challenge is turning your life over to Christ. That's what you're afraid of. You're not afraid of the coronavirus so much, but you're afraid of turning your life over to Jesus. You fear that you'll be joining a cult in scenes of uh, Jonestown, Guyana, or Waco, Texas, where all those people needlessly died belonging to a cult those scenes come into your mind you think i don't want to do that or or you you fear that you're going to be odd or weird if you become a christian or probably more than anything you fear that you will not be in control and you can't imagine putting your life in the control of christ i am going to assure you i can assure you today that staying away from christ is the most fearful thing of all because staying away from christ will result in eternal death Coming to Christ will liberate you from eternal death and give you eternal life forever. So will you pray with, with, with me right now to welcome the one who cures a virus far more deadly than COVID-19? Would you, would you pray with me? Most people survive 
the coronavirus, you know. Most people don't die from the coronavirus. But the disease of sin, 100% die forever from the disease of sin. But Jesus went to a cross 2,000 years ago to provide the vaccine, the antidote, the cure for sin. And you can receive it today. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to actually ask you to repeat this prayer after me. That you can find the cure for the greatest virus of all. Which is the virus of sin. That's been destroying lives and destroying marriages and destroying finances and destroying bodies for thousands of years. We can be free from it and you can too. Will you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I have the disease of sin. I admit that there's something in me that needs your help. And I ask you, Father, to forgive me of my sins, cure me of the sickness of sin, and give me eternal life and set me free from the bondage of sin. And with your help, I will turn away from sin. With your help, I will turn away from those things that are self-destructive, destructive to my friends, my family, and my community, and my world. And I will turn my life over to you. I receive you now, Jesus, as my personal Savior and Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us today. And for those who have been with us all the way through, thank you. So I can't say thank you enough. I so appreciate all the, all the feedback that we've gotten from the sermons and the worship. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, every one of you who possibly can will be here next Sunday for 9.15 and uh, 11.15 services. So God bless you and uh, have a wonderful day.